0: And ride with me in my foul life. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the Foul Life Podcast Midwest Series. I'm your host, Joel Clayfish, coming to you from the great state of Wisconsin, surrounded by the Great Lakes, Mississippi River, and more inland lakes than any state in the country. Today, man, we have an awesome guest with us today, Eric The Rock Jensen, world-famous for sure, but definitely famous in the state of Wisconsin. Not only is he the on-court announcer for the world champion Milwaukee Bucks, but he's also the host of the biggest radio show in the state of Wisconsin. But more important than that, to me, he's a hunting buddy, and he loves to get out there and waterfowl hunt, and he's been down gator hunting with us in Florida. And I'm gonna tell you something. This guy's stories you could listen to all night long. And he's just an awesome friend, a great friend of the outdoors. Eric Jensen, thanks for joining us today on the Fall Life
1: Podcast. Thanks for having me, Joel. That's quite the intro. Wow. World famous, though. (laughs) (laughs) Eric,
0: man, you and I have known each other probably for 20 years now. Yeah. Um, You have really experienced some unbelievable things in your life. You were, you know, you are the encore announcer for the world champion Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, what, how on earth do you get to be in the center of something so huge? And what did that feel like? You know,
1: it's undescribable really. It was, uh, as it was happening, it was kind of like unbelievable. You couldn't, uh, Kind of had to pinch myself that, that was, we were actually winning the championship because it wasn't many years ago that we were kind of at the bottom of the league. And to even at that point think of the Bucks winning a championship was such a far-fetched idea that when it was actually happening, it was like, I can't believe this is really going to happen right now. You, know? you, you kind of have a knack of getting in things at the ground floor. I
0: mean, I don't know how you do it. I mean, you're on the largest radio show in the state of Wisconsin, the most listened to radio show. We've been on the radio show, uh, you know, with the provider lifestyle, and you get in on the ground floor, and then things just happen when you're there. Is it you? Are you the lucky rabbit's foot?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. I like that. Um, you know, you know, I I've been called a grinder. I'm a guy that uh, I'll I'll get in. Uh, on the ground floor and just kind of, uh, grind until, until I'm in the middle of things and I, I stick with things. I'm so, you know, I think it just kind of eventually you work hard at enough at something it, it it'll happen. You have, so you're the on-court announcer. Your job
0: in essence is to say the player's names in a perfect fashion like nobody in the world no fan no announcer anywhere else has to say the names as well as you do because you're announcing them on the court as they're getting on the court I mean and you got a guy named Giannis Atetacumbo who number one now now he's also like the greatest player in the game right and and tell me about the pressure when you first had to say you know Giannis Atetokounmpo <laughs>
1: It was, when, you know, we first got him, he wasn't the greatest player in the world. He was uh, a guy that, uh, it was a first-round pick, but it was, you know, you weren't quite sure where Giannis was going to end up, but um, it was a name that definitely we had to figure out how how it was going to be pronounced and basically get everyone on the same page saying it the same way because there was really no official way of saying it. And even, I think, Giannis has said it different. If you if you actually, because I would pay attention to how he says his name, and I would go, I swear that's not how he said it before. You know, so I get
0: was, accused of that too with the last name like Clayfish, Clayfish, Cleefish, <laughs> Clayfisk.
1: Right, the way it's spelled and yeah. everything is a little different. So, um, just kind of, I went with one pronunciation. Actually, the way I do it now is a little different than. The way we we started out so
0: all right let's hear it i gotta hear it i mean <laughs> this this i i know I, I do this to you i put you on the spot with it but what hearing you announce things with that with those pipes is just it's fun
1: now it's you know it's janice adeto see know. look at that
0: magic on the microphone
1: eric Jensen. it was yeah it was a little different at first it was uh adeto is what we went with so originally.
0: well it, but he, he's Greek so yeah. there are probably Greek pronunciations that mix with the American pronunciations but so you've mm. never heard from him that you're pronouncing it wrong so I'm assuming that right. he's, he's no, fairly I'm, happy with it I
1: I understand he likes the way I, that I say it so <laughs> that's all I need Well
0: you've got you know the greatest arguably not not arguably in my opinion but the greatest player in the NBA on obviously the greatest team in the NBA and you get to to do that and your life is so diverse it it would blow the average person's mind to say well what when someone comes up to you and says what do you do for a living I don't even know how you answer that question (laughs) it is
1: yeah it's kind of uh you know when I when I'm asked that I, I do kind of well, what do I say? But uh, I just say, you know, I'm, I'm uh, I work a radio radio producer and um, on air talent and sports announcer. And then if they want to get in deeper, then I'll say, well, I'm the announcer for the Bucks and work on the Bob and Brian show and the Hog and all that. So.
0: and yet one of the largest things in your life is hunting, field yep. to table. Uh, you uh, have been in, shared the field with me many times. We've been out goose hunting together. Sure, yeah. We've gone to Florida together where uh, we've been in the gator swamps together. That, yep. waterfowl hunting is a big part of your life, isn't it?
1: It is, yeah. And, you know, I appreciate you showing me the the way to do it right and uh, learning from you, you know. So it's uh, it's such an awesome thing to be able to do, and it's so great here in Wisconsin. And I, I really, you know, learned a lot from hunting with you. So I appreciate that. Uh,
0: Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. I don't know how much credit I actually deserve, but, uh, one of the things, you know, we, we talk on the show about the network you create and the people you get to know through the hunting network and the professional networks. And one of my biggest joys really is being able to bring, uh, Wild game into the show, into the radio yeah. show. Mm-hmm. That's been an incredible. We experience. like that too. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's been a fantastic experience for me. Um, I don't even remember how that got started. Do you remember how it got started? But bringing that, the, the wild, the different wild game, trying to up the the next. Thing. Yeah, I
1: think you know it just it just started with uh, Bob and Brian talking about uh, I think maybe bear meat they were talking about, and that's yeah, what they brought in the first time and. Um, Then it's just kind of trying to top that. One time you brought in beaver meat. We tried that. It was really good. (laughs) Yeah, I understand that caused a problem later. Yeah, it did with our uh, general manager of the radio station. uh, I put the leftovers up in our main kitchen area and an email went out to everyone in the office (laughs) like, good Lord, what is that meat up in the kitchen? And she's... She's a vegetarian, so (laughs) any meat would have probably, you know, gotten to her, but uh, especially the beaver meat, she really was like, (laughs) I I just answered, that's beaver meat, and uh, yeah, the place kind of exploded after that, it was funny. I don't think you could make that up. No.
0: (laughs) I don't think... Now, the last time that, uh, that I, I came into the show, I, I brought a recipe from the Provider Cookbook, and you were actually at my house. You did the cooking segment with me. Yeah. So, yeah, look for that uh, down the road, hopefully, uh, on Provider TV. Um, we did uh, Speckle Belly Goose in a port wine cherry reduction but we used sandhill crane for the goose and that's one of the cool things to me about the provider cookbook uh, is that you can substitute uh, you know any type of waterfowl but uh, what did you we brought that into the show
1: oh yeah that was I mean we were talking about that also because it's you know known as the ribeye of the sky and everyone really wanted to try it I was really looking forward to trying it and uh, it didn't disappoint that that is a really good piece of meat yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. Unbelievable. I, th-
0: I think, um, you know, the, it, they nickname Sandhill Crane the ribeye of the sky. To me, it almost tastes more like, like Wagyu tenderloin or something. Yeah, I mean, or a tastes- filet. Yeah. You're right, like a filet mignon. Yeah. Um, and the, the cool thing about the recipe for that is it sounds complex in a port wine cherry reduction. But if you get a bottle of port wine and you follow the you know ingredients in the the provider cookbook it was actually pretty simple i mean you were with me we whipped it up in what 15 20 minutes yeah
1: yeah but you had uh a flambeau going or flambe or whatever it's <laughs> <Sorry>. called <laughs> 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 you know something that I, I don't know if uh i'd burn my house down if i tried that just <laughs> trust <laughs> me i did
0: there, it, it's good for me that my wife is out on the campaign trail as often as she is, because if she was home, she'd probably be standing by with the fire extinguisher, right. <laughs> waiting for waiting for me. Because I had honestly, you know, I came to cooking through osmosis. I watched my uh, little Italian mom cook my entire life, and people say, "Well, how'd you learn to cook?" And I say, "It must have been osmosis, because I just watched her cook throughout her life." and tried to absorb what she, you know, she didn't have a cook, use a cookbook or measuring cups or anything like that. And so even with the provider cookbook, I use it as a guideline, but you can, you know, you can add and subtract. And if you got the provider spices, you're not going to go wrong with that. But one of the fun things about it is one of the fun thing, the most fun things to me is taking wild game. You know, people have, you hear it all the time that they don't want to try goose or goose is disgusting or right. I don't like goose. That, Canada. I,
1: that was my thought before I had goose prepared by you. I always thought, ah, wild goose. You know, I, I, could never, I could never make it where it would taste good. And then I had your goose and it was like, whoa, man, this is a game changer.
0: Don't you think that's kind of a game changer in the entire waterfowl industry is the understanding that waterfowl can be this delicacy on the dinner table
1: yeah right absolutely I mean I think you know people duck and pheasant and things like that uh, people are okay with that but a a lot of people talk about goose like you were saying like ah you, you know just you can't prepare that and you know it's too dry and whatever but you put it in that slow cooker all day like you do and yeah, it's, it's fantastic.
0: Eat, even the wild goose, we wrap it in bacon, put it on the Traeger and smoke it for a while. And sometimes I'll put it in the sous vide. If you don't know what a sous vide is, uh, take a look at that because a sous vide is a circulating water bath. And it sounds mm. kind of foofy, but it's <laughs> so easy to do. You it throw is. your meat in a Ziploc bag and leave it in the sous vide. You know, put a goose breast in there for 24 hours And then you finish it off on the Traeger Grill and it comes out absolutely like tenderloin. I I get... How did... You know, going on to the show with different wild game recipes is so fun. I mean, first of all, I always leave with a sore side because we're laughing so much on the show. But doing the stories... on the show, it was your influence, I'm imagining because you're kind of the the outdoorsman of the show, yeah that it became such a large part of the show and 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 part of what uh you know Bob and Brian do on the radio show is the experiences in the outdoors, which is so important to that audience
1: yeah it's you know and to them it's such a it's such a mystery to them because they they've never hunted or hardly you know fished or anything like that so when we when these topics come up it's like a complete mystery they ask me all kinds of questions half of them I don't even I have no idea what the answer is and I call you to get more answers and stuff like that but they love trying all the different wild game and you know just being amazed by how good everything is when you bring it in
0: well and that's one of the things I don't know I mean their influence is so wide span there are two things I hear about from people when I am in the public. One is like, hey, man, you're, you're working with the Foul Life guys now. I listen to your podcast. That's so great. Or, Can't wait to see the new season on the Outdoor Channel. And the other thing I always hear is, heard John, Bob and Brian with The Rock, man. That was so cool. That's crazy. Uh, and I, I'm going to divert here and talk about a story that we did tell on the air that we, Eric and I were hunting alligators in the swamps of florida in the everglades of florida and we're out on an airboat and i i don't know if it was part of eric's plan ahead of time but i almost ended up dead almost ended up dead in the swamp
1: yeah no that wasn't part of my plan uh, (laughs) that was such an incredible time and, and hunt and everything and then uh for that night to end with you uh Getting a bird in the face, <laughs> <laughs> a bird. quite the capper. Yeah, we were uh, we were going along in the in the uh, in the airboat, and it's completely dark. Can hardly even see your hand in front of your face back there in the in the swamp. And we're going forty miles an hour, ripping through the swamp. And you were sitting up in the in the high seat, and um, all of a sudden I hear something rip through the fan. <laughs>
0: I'm like, what <laughs> that's was that? exactly what it <laughs> sounded like and that
1: was your headlamp and your hat going through the the fan and that was after uh i, I didn't know until we got back that the bird hit you an egret or something oh, oh right my in the gosh. right in the forehead right
0: yes oh yeah it hit me had it been a few inches uh lower we would not be having this conversation yeah I would have knocked right you out of now. that
1: chair and broke your neck probably taking taken my
0: head off possibly <laughs> yeah. i mean this is a big coconut to hit but i'm telling you it might It was a big bird too and we we're we're down there hunting and, and and papa ward was driving the airboat and I, one thing i learned i will never sit in the high seat on an airboat the driver sits in a lower seat yeah and papa ward he's he's probably close to 80 years old Mm -hmm. and he knows those swamps like the back of his hand oh yeah
1: he turned off the lights and was flying through the swamp at that speed just by memory I guess, (laughs) by
0: sheer feeling (laughs) he was using the jedi force there's no doubt about it because we're and, and i have to i'm not a good passenger period i'm a very anxious passenger i don't do well even as a passenger in a car so now imagine you're in the Everglades, the reeds are taller than the boat. The reeds are probably 10 feet tall. Yeah. And he's bombing through at 40 miles an hour, going by sense, by 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 just sensing where we're going. Uh-huh. And I'm in the back seat behind him, and all of a sudden, I see white. And it's it's a white egret dropping out of a tree right in front of us. And you were in the boat right ahead of us.
1: Yeah. Right. And But I was sitting low. I was like on the gunwale just, you know, riding along there. Because... There were enough bugs you were catching in the face, too, before before the bird got you. Yeah, and the bird <laughs> dropped
0: out, and but by the second I saw it, it hit me. My hat, headlamp, and the entire bird went through the fan on the airboat, and that was... one. <laughs> man, that was a close call. Yeah. But that day, you you actually fought... You actually had a, a monster gator that
1: day. Oh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. That was that was incredible, and just the the way that uh, we did it. I mean, fighting a gator giant gator on a musky rod is insane so i mean we would cast out we'd see we'd see the gator you cast past it and then you basically snag him you rip the hooks towards him and and snag him on a big treble hook and uh the gator takes it down to the bottom and you gotta keep lifting him up and fight him until he gets close enough where we throw a harpoon into him and can get uh get them roped and up next to the boat where you, you hit them with the bang stick yeah I mean, it's just so exciting there I mean, was a
0: point at which you see pride gets in the way a lot of times when you've got that musky rod with an alligator on the other end of it there was a point at which i looked at you and you had a look on your face like i don't know if i can hang on to this right. musky rod and anyway. my
1: arms were just screaming i was like you know i don't know how much more i've gotten me on this thing because you've got to just keep the tension on it or it's you know yeah gonna be starting over again that was definitely something and
0: you had a a a great that was that was fantastic that you know that'll that is a highlight in my in my hunting life (laughs) memories was that trip because we had such a great so much fun
1: and everyone I mean the 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 guides and um you know Shelby and everybody was so cool to be with and you felt you felt comfortable back in the swamp with those people because they, they know it like the back of their hand. They know what to do. They know how, how to be safe back there. So that was, you know, it's a it could be dangerous. They know how to
0: be safe except for they cannot predict when a bird's going to drop out of the tree <laughs> well, when you're going yeah. 40 miles an hour. Things
1: like that, a little unpredictable. And <laughs> right, But the head. Right, but like uh, the one gator um, that uh, the other Eric was pulling in, he got it into the boat, was holding it by the face, pulling it into the boat after it was hit with the bang stick. And he's, as he's holding it by the face, Shelby goes, It just blinked. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: what? <laughs> <laughs> it just,
1: yeah, you don't so, want, if a
0: gator's blinking, yeah. he's not done dancing right. at that. You don't want to
1: have your hands anywhere near its mouth, but he held on and, uh, she stabbed it the spine until it was yeah it it stopped blinking
0: yeah we you know fortunately eric you and i have spent some great time in not as harried of situations in that and we really have spent a lot a great deal more time together in the goose field and in the duck field and that is some of our greatest memories hunting together too
1: yeah yep um And I want to get out turkey hunting with you, too, at some point.
0: Well, I have to tell you, Jargon has got some new calls out that I used exclusively this past season, and I took people out, brand new hunters, got two people who've never, ever hunted turkeys in their life, a turkey, and used exclusively the Jargon calls and had the probably the greatest spring turkey season I've ever had. I think we killed 8 or 9 turkeys with people I took out and I killed wow. four myself and and the calling is just so incredible and that's the awesome thing about bird hunting. I mean, when it comes to geese and ducks, you've got your spreads, your setups, the difference between water hunting versus field hunting but turkey hunting is an incredibly unique experience because you can whisper to each other when you 're up against a tree in the woods and there is that feeling of adrenaline if you're not if your blood's not pumping and your heart's not beating when that turkey starts paying attention to your calls and decoys and there's nothing around and you let out that soft yelp and purr yelp and then you cackle a little bit and then all of a sudden there's a, that giant red head at the corner of the field man that is exciting
1: we got I can 't believe you haven't done that I know. No, i i can't either and where i where i deer hunt i sit in the blind and i watch turkeys parade around in front of me the whole time i'm sitting there deer hunting i know when i'm turkey hunting i won't see one you know i'll see probably a lot of deer then while i'm sitting in the turkey blind
0: everybody (laughs) talks about non-target species it seems like whatever you're hunting you're going to see the other species that you can't hunt at that time that you know that's something we were talking mark kakich uh former state champion goose or, uh, duck caller, um, heading up the Wisconsin Waterfowl Expo in August. And the Fowl Life is a main sponsor of that expo. He, you know, he and I were just talking a bit ago about what does it take, do you think, to turn a deer hunter into a waterfowl hunter? What does it take to take a hunter who's part of that 10-day gun deer season 11 day gun deer season, turn him into a waterfowl hunter. You are kind of the prime example of somebody who's always been an outdoorsman, but have in recent years moved a little more into waterfowl and into the yeah. other types of hunting. And Wisconsin's got so many great species to hunt in different seasons. What does it take to draw somebody who is a hunter, but they're not a waterfowl
1: hunter or a turkey hunter. What does it take to turn them into that? I think like just exposing them to it. You know, if if they get out and try it, I, if you're into any kind of hunting, it's it's more. Of, I believe that you just enjoy being outdoors and and taking in the outdoors, and it doesn't really matter the activity or what you're hunting. Um, you're kind of. It's more about kind of just getting in tune with nature and and animals and and you know being out there so I I think whether you're a deer hunter or a waterfowl hunter if you're just exposed to different different things you're going to enjoy it and and have a good time now it's Maybe you don't have the, all the setup stuff to, to do it, so that may be a barrier. But uh, you know, you don't have all the decoys and the uh, the blinds and things like that. So, but that's when it's up
0: to the guys who are into it to, to take the, people along to do it. And absolutely. I mean, you know, you're not you don't have twenty dozen decoys, but you know you've got resources to help you get out there and, and waterfowl hunting. People ask me a lot what's your favorite kind of hunting? And that is, there is no tougher question because for me, I'm even separating what's my favorite kind of hunting by species. Like, am I water duck hunting? Am I field duck hunting? Am I goose hunting on the water, on a bank, on a, a river edge, or am I in a field? But there is no sweeter feeling in the world than when those geese or ducks have got their wings bent over in a hard sea they look like a half moon (laughs) yeah and they're floating into the foot bag
1: right right that's uh that's a beautiful sight when that happens but i think it's you know i'm i'm open for just new experiences all the time like friends will ask me to go on different hunts or um you know you want to come down to arkansas duck hunting Heck yeah, let's let's do that. And then you go in, and that's a completely different style of duck hunting and a, a kind of a different level. And um, you just get different experiences. What do you call me and you want to, I don't say no very often when you call. You never you say hunting. no. It's perfect because <laughs> it's you know. If it's you're, be you're, a your your schedule's experience. tough,
0: your schedule is the toughest thing. Yeah. I mean, you're doing the box games at night. You got your show that you got to be in the middle of the night. You go in to prep
1: for the show, for your right. radio show. And I can't get away on weekends a lot, which makes things, you know, kind of difficult sometimes. But when you have an afternoon hunt or something and during the week and, uh, you know, I'll come out and you, you've got guys out there and you've got uh, 150 decoys out in the field to just a setup. that it's like oh my god this is this yeah is sometimes 150 decoys is just the start <laughs> for real I mean where, where could you go and and have that kind of experience you know it's awesome
0: well the midwest is I think it's I still think that we we have you know opportunities in the midwest that are not understood throughout the rest of the country I mean this is just such a gem for hunting what's it like for you I mean you know, we talk a lot of times about networks and symbiosis between things. But what's it like for you to have one of your main jobs producing, uh, you know, a top-rated morning radio show, and that every experience you have in your life can become a topic on a show? How cool is it to live your life, <laughs> and then what you do in your life becomes, hey, I can use that for my job, and yeah. they work with each
1: other. Right. It's it is cool. It's also um we were talking about this the other day like when uh, people people wonder why we need vacation time you know they're like you guys go in there and you just talk and whatever but vacation time is really sort of a time to turn that off where you don't have to take notice of everything that happens like hey I could talk about that on the show I could talk about that believe it or not that actually sort of wears you down after you know you need a break from that once in a while and and it's cool to to be able to do that and especially when something goes horribly wrong that's the one (laughs) bright side you have of that going well at least this will make a great story on the air (laughs) yeah so you have that but uh yeah it is sort of a a around the clock type of thing that you're you always have in the back of your mind of uh Oh well, that would be cool to talk about on the show when you when you see it. You know, you kind of have to be because if you're not thinking that way, then you miss a lot of stuff. You know? You'll forget it. You'll forget it
0: when you get to the job right. and think, "Wow, that could have been a fantastic yeah. story or a topic on the show."
1: You have to take a mental note of it when it happens. How
0: you know? did you get into hunting? What What was your first experience hunting? And then how did you end up, you know, enjoying waterfowl the way you do and and participating in waterfowl hunting? Well, I I
1: I got exposed to hunting and the outdoors really with my my uncle at a young age. He's a, a a big outdoorsman, a great hunter, um awesome musky fisherman and he I started deer hunting with him at a young age. Um different kind of hunting too, squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting. Um we didn't do any waterfowl hunting really. We'd pheasant hunt um but uh, And he really got me into muskie fishing at that time. And then uh, just as I grew older, I was open to uh, just different experiences. And when friends would ask if I wanted to go duck hunting or something, I'd jump at the, the chance and um, kind of got exposed through different friends. And, you know, you, you really got me into goose hunting. I had never done much goose hunting before hunting with you, so... You know, thank you for that.
0: Well, and I have to tell you, I, I mean, I'm not in all reality. I'm not necessarily kind of like a starstruck guy, but. Our And our lives have got a lot of parallels in it. We both uh, are part of the media. We both have a very large uh, experience in the outdoors. Is very much important to us. But when you come hunting with me, I think to myself, man, I hope we can get those geese in the decoys because Eric's coming along. <laughs> and I know that anything that happens in that field could end up a topic on the show. In fact, True. I'm hoping it often does. <laughs> yeah, right. And the, so... A big part of it for me when you come along is the camaraderie with you we always laugh i mean we laugh like crazy we're always telling stories but when you come along it it goes to the very nature of what it's like to take people and everyone you take is going to bring a different personality to the party and they're going to enhance that experience
1: for sure and that's the best part about waterfowl hunting like as opposed to deer hunting you don't have to be quiet until the birds show up. You know, you're sitting there, you're goofing around, you're getting to know guys and stuff. And as soon as someone hears a bird off in the distance, then it's time to cover up and and get ready. But uh, you can have so much fun just joking around and, and hanging out with guys while you're while you're waiting for the birds to come. I, that's why I love that kind of hunting, deer hunting. You know, I have a hard time sitting there quiet all afternoon and I I do it, but it's, I struggle with
0: whitetail hunting and, and I don't, I love it. I love to do it. And I love cooking venison. And that is, you know, venison field to table. There's very few things that are as fantastic as that. I mean, you can just use a few of the provider rubs and spices on a venison uh, backstrap and throw it on the Traeger grill. And 10 minutes later, you are eating a delicacy, literally a delicacy. And, but for me, the camaraderie of goose hunting and, and duck yep. hunting is just, it, there's nothing like it. I can't explain exactly why. My wife will sit and, and she'll listen to me talk to my hunting buddies about something. We'll talk for an hour about changing three de- decoys in a spread or how someone's call, you know, turned them and they came back and we killed them. And she, I'll be done and I'll look at it and she'll say, what in the hell were you guys just even talking about for an hour and how did you talk about it for an hour? And that's kind of the, the joy and the beauty of waterfowl hunting is there's always more to learn and there's always more to talk
1: about. Right. And I think uh, the prep is just as fun as the actual hunt. When you're sitting around with buddies and you're, you're coming up with a plan and, you know, looking at maps and things like that. That's to me, that's what it's all about, you know. It's it's also the, the the preparation, the scouting, all that stuff that goes into it is. Um, that's all things that uh, make it really enjoyable. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. You mentioned the scouting, and one of the things about waterfall hunting is, and I I don't mean to oversimplify it, and I don't mean to exaggerate this, but. The relationships you develop, waterfowl hunting, the knocking on doors, the scouting, the relationships you build with the, with the property owners to be able to hunt their properties, which is a privilege. It, yeah. It's an unbelievable privilege, are really lessons you can use in life and in a career and no matter what job you're using. When you understand that the relationships you create... Are more important than saying to somebody, hey, can I hunt your field? And then never talking to him again, never, never having a relationship with them in the future. Not only can friendships develop, but networks develop. Uh, and you get, don't be afraid. I always tell people, don't be afraid to get something out of the relationship you have with someone who you've asked permission to hunt on their property they have something to offer you as well. And the farmers in this country who own this property, who give us the privilege to step on their land and fire a gun. Mm -hmm. They have stuff to offer and teach us. For sure,
1: I think, you know, and and it's a, they will give you the mutual respect, but it's gotta be mutual. You know, you have to respect them and, and um, treat that as a privilege being able to come on their land and, and, hunt and they will treat you with uh, respect if you're if you're that way to them and um, you know maybe offer to help them with some kind of chores or a fence or, job. They, they, or they...
0: bail some hay one day Right? yeah and I think those the, too often people don't realize those skills uh those people skills translate into a job and sure. and, and right now we've got a real workforce issue you know in this country people cannot find uh, good workers and if you're the guy who gets in there and you're not completely self-centered and you are thinking about what your employer needs you know I, i work for disabilities organizations and it's so bizarre to think that my relationship with property owners in the hunting world has translated to my
1: appreciation in the workplace Right, if if you have the mindset that you're just trying to get whatever you can out of this guy, you know, I, I just want to hunt this land and let's. How do, we, how do I get that? That's the wrong approach. You have to look at it as how can this be a win-win for both of us? What, what can I bring to the table here and make this a, a positive relationship?
0: Yeah, one of the keys, I'm going to give you guys a secret listening to the podcast right now. If you do this, Um, you're not only gonna create lifelong friends, but you're also gonna have somebody who understands your appreciation when you're out scouting and asking permission. I will take an animal I harvest on someone's property, turn that into a pot pie, let's say, or turn it into wild turkey tetrazzini, and I will deliver a portion of my harvest to that farmer, to that property owner, and say, this is from the game I harvested on the property you allowed me to hunt. And I think that's kind of a really meaningful way to say thank you.
1: Yeah, I I know you do that because I hunted with you one day when you just got done making the rounds doing that. You had some pot pies left over that we had in the field. uh, Goose hunted that afternoon. But, yeah, that's an excellent idea. I mean, how better to show your appreciation than to you know the way to a man's heart is through his belly they always say so bring up some good well, I must food. have a big heart because I got a big belly EJ but you telling know, you. just uh something that was harvested off his land what that's you can't top that that's perfect
0: sometimes I think that those folks out there who don't hunt and and don't participate and you know in the state of Wisconsin we we've got massive numbers for deer hunting uh and uh smaller number for waterfall hunting. I think a lot of it is exposure issues. People haven't had the exposure. They think they don't have the equipment or the knowledge to get out there and do it, and that's our obligation to get them out there to do it. But a big part of it from, you know, the the anti-hunter sentiment is that they don't I think if someone says they are an anti-hunter but they're going to the store to purchase their meat, I think that's a contradiction. That is a contradiction for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: But I think part of what makes it so fantastic and enjoyable is the entire, there is an entire culture, an entire lifestyle you can live when you are going into the field the setup is intriguing. You know, you can become an expert in that, or you can know a lot about that. Calling is very important. Dog uh, work is yeah. incredibly enjoyable and ex- important part of it. But the com- for me, I, I'm, I don't have a hunting dog. I love when people bring their dogs. Yeah. I don't, I'm not probably the best at decoy setup. I, I, I like basic decoy setups and I can play the wind and I know that the land features are important. I'm not the greatest caller. I'm maybe a five out of ten on a goose call. Maybe my buddies would probably say three. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but I well, can honk and cluck. right? Well, but you've got guys that hunt with you that are world class callers. Yeah, that's so, right. I yeah. mean, you've got. I think your point is you. There's guys that are kind of have their expertise in each one of those categories. Different guys, and uh, as a group. It all works out as a really good setup.
0: Yeah, it's, and for me, it's cooking. That's my thing. Yeah, I mean, ob- food's my favorite dish, and I love to eat. And I get, I, I literally get grizzly when somebody says, "Oh, goose is disgusting." I mean that, that lights <laughs> a tell. fire in me. I could tell what I was saying that before. You were getting a little. I get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I start to sweat a little bit because I want to drag the person. I've had times where I've had people say goose is disgusting, and I've came, I've come home and literally cooked goose, throw it on the Traeger, in its, uh, you know, make its own stock, shredded goose burritos or enchiladas and i will drive to the person's house and say eat this in front of me (laughs) and tell me
1: it's disgusting that's what you had ready to go when we went (laughs) goose hunting last time we came back and uh, it was already you know we just had to throw it on some tortillas and yeah there we go and it was delicious and you
0: don't have to be an expert caller. But there is something that everybody enjoys doing that they can bring to the party. And that's one of the things that's so great about living the foul life. And, you know, the foul life show and, and Chad uh, Belding and his network of people, they're not just about getting into the field and pile picks. So many times people are about pile picks and hey, getting a limit's fantastic. It's great fun. Mm-hmm. But the lifestyle of hunting uh, and waterfowl hunting is about camaraderie it's about uh, getting new people in the sport and right now women are the fastest growing component of shooting sports wildlife hunting uh, and and it, it's an exciting it's such an exciting time to be in it yeah. and when you take the entire lifestyle people say oh my gosh Joel your entire life is about hunting and I, I'll stop and I'll say, no, my life, my entire life is not about hunting. Right. But the lifestyle.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it's a good lifestyle. It's a healthy lifestyle and it builds friendships, you know, it just uh, there's uh, absolutely nothing wrong with with that lifestyle. That's uh, it's just a way, a way of living. But you have so many other things. You, you know, you raise a family and, you know. Your wife's running for governor, for crying that's out loud. Like, There's a lot oh, going yeah, on here. I had here. forgotten that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, you know, I had somebody come up the other day and say, hey, I saw your wife at an event. And I say, if you see her, tell her I said hi. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, I was just talking to her. And she says she's hardly seen you in the last week. <laughs> that's so. true. That's, that's probably good for her. I don't know.
0: It, people underestimate the joy and peace hunting can bring to you when the job is stressful or life is stressful yeah that time in the field is the time that's well spent and it's it recharges batteries and remember that too often you know sometimes today especially with the social media stuff people get so competitive about hunting who had a bigger pile pick who killed more of a limit this week it's not about that it's about enjoying yourself not getting angry if you were laughing too loud and some silent geese came in and they
1: kept flying by enjoy your time while you're out there right that's what it's mainly about is kind of just decompressing and being out in nature and, and enjoying it i mean it's you know you could be sitting on your couch watching tv or you could be out in the marsh hunting have get out there just uh you know even if it's not about the kill it's just, it's about being out there and enjoying it
0: yeah that i i'm gonna we're gonna end the podcast on that note because you could not have said it better uh eric jensen uh on court voice of the milwaukee bucks world champion milwaukee bucks also a producer of the bob and brian morning show on 1029 the hog where i have the privilege of occasionally coming on and talking cooking bringing food in I, you know we you said we try to one up at each time and that is a little interesting because now we've brought in (laughs) venison black bear raccoon beaver Mm -hmm. alligator
1: yes yes. am
0: i forgetting anything uh sandhill crane wild boar yep and now the guy said what am i what am i going to bring in next i'm trying to think of species i think i might have some mountain goat have yeah, I brought I in know. mountain
1: goat yet? What'd you bring back from Africa? Any, uh, anything? No,
0: you can't bring f- meat right. back from Africa. <laughs> Otherwise we, we would have a whole gamut of new things to yeah. serve. But, um, so I'm going to have to get creative. I think one of them said rattlesnake. So really? maybe, we'll, maybe we'll try to kill a python or something and bring it in next time.
1: <laughs> All right, we'll have to get, get to work, but uh, eventually eventually, we're going to run out of things here in North America. We're going to have to <laughs> we have to venture out. <laughs> we're going to have to
0: bring in Nutria or something like that. I don't even know if you can hunt Nutria. I don't know. But I think they're in Florida, in fact. Oh, who knows? I think I saw it on Survivor once or, or, or Naked oh, yeah. and Afraid that they killed Nutria. Tarantula. And
1: that's what uh, Brian was talking about one morning. Was the tarantula? Uh, the kids in I don't know what country they were in, but they would they would catch tarantulas and throw them in a bamboo stick, plug the ends, and throw it in a fire and crack it open and eat the tarantulas. But you uh, had to make sure to cook them enough, otherwise their hairs get caught in your tongue.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say big no thank you on that one. That just under any circumstance, that just and I'll try anything.
1: Yeah, I will I, try I know you anything. Will, but that I don't might know be too if much. I could
0: do. It. The hair on my arm is standing up as you said it, so I don't know. I don't know if I could try that. Eric Jensen, always a pleasure, and I cannot wait until the next time we get to share the field or the swamp together. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. This is the Fowl Life Podcast Midwest Series. I'm your host Joel Clayfish. We'll catch you next time.